0: Welcome to Aging in Arizona, a show dedicated to educating listeners about current health care topics and local services. Now, here are your hosts, Presley Reader and Mark Young.
1: Hello and welcome to Aging in Arizona. It's so glad to have you with us today as we talk about the joys and some of the challenges of growing older in this great state. And as you know, we talk to local experts about what they see happening as people age. And we are currently in the series where we're talking about our new book. Very excited to have announced that uh, we're releasing this book, Aging in Arizona. That's the title of the show and the book. Uh, The subtitle of the book is Insights for the Elderly and Their Families. And we've selected the key topics that we've been able to cover here on the show over the last four years and uh, asked experts in those areas to write chapters for the book. And we've got those experts coming on the show during this series and very excited to have two of them with us today. Mark Gianoni is a retirement income certified professional, and he's going to be talking about financial planning for those later years. His chapter is called Minding the Piggy Bank, which I really like the title of. And uh, we're going to be talking with Mark first today. And then after that, we're going to talk with Scott Fisher, who wrote the uh, chapter called Assisted Living Communities, How Do You Choose? Uh, And we're going to be talking with Scott about making the choice for a senior living option when the time comes for that. So we're going to spend the first half of the show with Mark Giannone, but before we do that, I need to welcome my co-host, Mark Young. So two Marks today. Mark, how are you? I'm doing excellent, buddy. How about you? great.
2: I, I love that. You know, I'm so excited about the book that's come out and, and bringing these guests on and the, and the great job they did in talking to them. Uh, but you know what people first and foremost want to know, how's mom and dad doing?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking about mom and dad to start every show. And as we said, uh, last week was Mother's Day. So we had a really nice time with uh, with mom celebrating that. I hope you did too. I hope everybody had a good time honoring their moms. And uh, this Uh, The book continues to be a topic of conversation in our home with my parents, and it's helped spur on some of those conversations that maybe we've resisted having. We talk about that a lot on the show. you got to talk about these things. You've got to plan ahead. The book, if it does nothing else, then spur those conversations will be a huge success.
2: Hopefully it's a seed and gets you thinking about the future. So even if you're not part of it, You're part of it because there's something in there that you can take away in this book. So, But before we get too far, we do need to thank our show sponsor, and that's Comfort Care Home Care. Comfort Care provides the care you need in the best place of all. Your home. Call Comfort Care at 602-438-1300 or visit their website, www.comforcare.com to find out more about how one of their caregivers can assist you and your loved one to continue to live safely and independently at home. Comfort Care is helping you live your best life possible.
1: Great. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Comfort Care. And again, a thank you to our first guest here, Mark Giannone. Again, retirement income certified professional and a writer of Chapter 11 in the book, Minding the Piggy Bank. Mark, thanks for joining us by phone. You're a busy guy, and we appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, you start your chapter... Uh, with with this. It says, when I talk to families about their finances, many feel hopelessly confused. They don't know if they've saved enough. They don't know how to protect what they've saved. They don't know the best way to invest. They don't know when they can consider retiring. They don't know how, and the list goes on and on of what folks don't know. Uh, hopefully, you're going to bring us some hope today as we talk with you, but uh, there's a lot of fear out there in the financial industry. Talk about that.
0: Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks, guys, for uh for inviting me to be a part of the book and then um, for having me on the show. Um, but, yeah, there, there is a lot of fear out there, and there's a lot of uncertainty to be fearful of, but there's some things that we can do to alleviate some of that fear, and there's some um, planning areas that we can address uh, to hopefully give us more confidence in the future. Um, there's, a, there's studies that are done consistently that show that the average American family spends more time usually planning their vacations than they do around their finances. And so that's very uh, reflective of, of the state of the average American as they prepare for retirement, unfortunately. Um, but the good news is, is there, there are some things that we can do, some low-hanging fruit that if we just do consistently for a long period of time that really enhance our odds of uh, having a, a good outcomes in retirement.
1: Okay, and I know we're going to talk about those. You're going to walk us through that. But when you talk about retirement and you're talking to people, I'm interested in knowing just what retirement is looking like for people these days? Uh, I'm sure it's across the board, but do you get a general sense of not only those who are in it right now, what are they experiencing, but uh, those are that are planning for it, uh, what are they looking forward to or hoping for?
0: Yeah, I think retirement these days does look a lot different than it had in the past. In the past, retirement was often, and sometimes you'll still hear it, it's associated with an age People say retirement, and what, do, what do, do people automatically think of? I think of either when I'm going to get my Social Security or the age 65. And I think the, the paradigm has changed, and people are thinking much differently about retirement, partially because we are living longer, partially because they feel like they're unprepared and they can't necessarily just assume that at 65 I'm going to get a pension and Social Security and that's going to take care of my needs. So retirement looks a lot different than I think than it did before. Uh, now it includes maybe a part-time job, uh, maybe continuing to work at the job you've been at for the past 10, 15, 20 years. Um, maybe it means retiring for a little while and then coming back into the workforce. Uh, it, it does look a lot different than it has in the past, and I think it will continue to evolve, especially with this. You know, Obviously, we've got a large population population, um, of the baby boomers retiring every day, and they're um, breaking the mold of what traditional retirement has looked like in the past.
2: So, Mark, by like far and away, most people are scared to death that they're going to outlive their money. So, how do you address those concerns?
0: There's there's different ways to address them, and uh, you know, I talked about in the book that oftentimes someone comes in to see a financial advisor, and the focus is on the product, right? And so the solution to every problem tends to be the product of choice from that advisor. And so if someone comes in and says, well, I need to address income, there tends to be a a list of things that are are proposed to the client. And what we would say is that, you know, until we really understand the bigger picture, so income is always a a concern. It should be a concern because really... Um, the reason that you've saved so so uh, diligently for retirement all these years is so that you can create an income when you get to retirement. But there's different ways to address it, and so I talked a little bit about those in the book. Some more common ones that you'll hear about are um, uh, fixed income, or you know, just bonds. And you can go ahead and and, and do some strategies around just buying bonds. There are strategies that include. Um, some sort of uh, guaranteed income payment by way of an annuity. Um, It could be um, by uh, taking part of your principal from your portfolio. There's lots of different ways, and it's totally dependent upon the, the preferences of the individual, their circumstances, their other income that they have, whether that be pensions or Social Security. So there's a lot that goes into that. So it's a very difficult answer or a question to answer without knowing the particulars, and I wouldn't advise anyone um, to just assume that one single product can can solve that problem. It really does take uh, some significant planning to sit down and figure out, okay, what am I most comfortable with? Um, what is the amount of income I need? And then how do we back into that amount?
2: What are maybe some of the most common things that people aren't thinking about? You know, they sit down and say, well, we want to retire at 65. We want to travel. We want to do this, that, and the other. But they're failing in certain areas that catches up and bites them in, in the long-term run.
0: I think people in general underestimate how long their retirement is going to last. So if you're retiring at that what's been traditional retirement age, 65, you need to plan on having 30 years' worth of income. I mean, you don't want to plan and then run out of money at 92 it's the worst time you could run out of money, right? So you want to plan for at least you know, 95. In, in most cases, we plan for our clients for 100. I think that people underestimate that, and then they underestimate, and they don't put enough thought necessarily into, well, what happens when one day when I wake up and I've retired and I don't need to go to work tomorrow? What do I do? And so they find themselves a year, two, three years into retirement, And what they want is to go back to work. And they want to have something that they can be passionate about and put energy and time into. That's not always the case, but oftentimes the case. And it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be an income-producing activity. It could be volunteering. Um, It could be uh, being a part-time greeter at Home Depot or or Walmart or a, a variety of different things. But I think those are some of the softer sides of retirement that people don't put a lot of thought into. Um, that can really come back at the end and make some of the biggest impact.
1: I'm glad you brought up those softer sides, Mark. They, we see that all the time uh, with people not thinking through the emotional effects of uh, their choices in retirement. You've used a word uh, throughout our discussion so far that I don't think many people associate with retirement, and that's income. Can you talk a little bit more about where income fits in? Because... I think a lot of people's perception of retirement is that income has stopped, and savings carries the day. But uh, you're you're speaking a lot about income.
0: Yeah, I think once we enter into retirement, because uh, retirement and um, not having confidence in what the next thirty years looks like, um, income ends up being one of those things that really gives us some uh, uh, gives us some. I don't want to say certainty, but it makes us feel good. Feels good to have a paycheck continuing on, versus hey, I've got this big pot of money that I'm going to be drawing down from. It doesn't. It's not. It can be structured for income, but it doesn't feel like I'm. I'm getting a paycheck. People tend to enjoy having that mailbox money. That's why Social Security is such a um, a, a big part of everyone's retirement um, plan.
2: Do Do you find when you're sitting down with individuals that are. How big is a how big is social security when you know rumors are going to be that you know it's not going to be there in the future?
0: Yeah, I you know I um, don't have a crystal ball, so don't know exactly what that's going to look like over the next 30, 40 years in, ter- in terms of what social security um, ends up paying out. I think there will be some some changes um, in, in the years ahead that make sure that folks have some sort of benefit. Whether that be a reduced benefit or a benefit that starts later in life, I think there'll be something available. But if you think about it, even for someone who's a more wealthy individual, Social Security is going to be a, a substantial asset for them. Meaning, if you have two individuals taking a benefit, um, you know, say twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year, that can easily be you know forty, fifty thousand dollars of income over a 30-year period of time, plus inflation adjustments that the Social Security Administration provides, or at least has provided in the past.
1: I'm going to jump in there, Mark. We've got to take a break because we're going to get back. We've got more time with you when we come back talk about Social Security and some of those aha financial moments that you reference in your chapter. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Aging in Arizona. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm Presley Reader. I'm here with my co-host, Mark Young. And if you're just tuning in, we are talking with a couple of the authors from our new book, also titled Aging in Arizona. And those authors are Mark Giannone, who's a retirement income certified professional talking about your financial future. Obviously an important topic as we all age. And then we're going to be talking uh, with Scott Fisher, who's the co-founder of the Professional Association of Senior Referral Specialists. And we're going to be talking about senior living options. He wrote a chapter on assisted living in the book. We'll be getting to Scott in our next segment, but we're going to continue our conversation with Mark Giannoni here now.
2: And I was asking Mark about Social Security, if that is part of your portfolio as you are starting to get some of your younger uh, clients coming through and doing planning. So you're kind of telling us that, uh, you know, Social Security is still a big part of uh, planning for the future. Um, You know, do you see that up, you know, still being the trend?
0: Yeah. So, look, we talked about before the break, it's it's a part of most people's reality that are retiring now and will continue to retire over the next 10 years. But as the clients uh, are younger, we don't, tend to use a full retirement benefit in their planning scenarios because there is some question as to how much of a benefit they will get. So we'd rather be more conservative as we do our projections. Um, But I think for most folks, um, it's going to be a reality. You're going to receive some sort of Social Security benefit, most likely. It's just a matter of, is it going to be the full amount that you're expecting? May it start a little bit later later? Um, But yes, it it still remains a pretty large piece of everyone's retirement income plan at this point.
1: Mark, as we talked about earlier, there's a lot of fear in the industry. There's a lot of marketing that goes on around financial planning that I think is fear-driven. There are some scary statistics out there. Can you take us into a scenario that you might find yourself in with an individual or a couple that comes into your office and starts to talk to you, uh, whether it's a common scenario, I know you walked us through one in your chapter in the book, but um, how do you start that conversation, and, and maybe what are people surprised uh, surprised by when they, when they have that conversation with you?
0: Yeah, I think the industry in general has tried to overcomplicate things, and so that's passed on to the everyday retiree, and so they expect it to be you know, very complex. Um, and so oftentimes they feel almost afraid of the process and so they just don't do anything. And so typically when a, when a client would come into my office, we start from the very, very bottom. Um, you know, what is, what's, what do you want to do? Um, do you have aging parents that we need to um, consider in our planning? Have you set aside enough cash just in case something comes up? Right? That's just a, a basic emergency fund. But you wouldn't believe how many people um, would have a tough time covering a, you know one month's expense if their income stopped, so if they're laid off or something unexpected happened.
2: Yeah, I read a crazy so, statistic that said, like, 40% of Americans couldn't handle a $400 emergency right. payment. Right.
0: Which is just, it's just sad. It's just sad. So there's some very low-hanging fruit that should be addressed before you even start the process of talking about what retirement's going to look like in 20 or 30 years or, you know, um, how to how to turn my income into a retirement stream in retirement when I'm 65. I mean, if if you retire at 65 and you don't have an emergency fund in place, that's the first course of action, right? Make sure that we get some of the basic things in place. So, yeah, a typical... Um, conversation with a client is, so What is what are the low-hanging fruit? Do we have an emergency fund in place that's going to cover us if something unexpected come, comes up, and how much should that be? Um, how are we going to turn our assets into an income stream when we need them during retirement? Do we have a plan for saving for expenses like long-term care, or do we have the insurance in place to cover those expenses? It's really diving deep on the what are the goals and then backing into how do we address the goals. It's not the other way around. It's not what are the solutions out there uh, to address some unknown unknown goal that we might have. It, it's really uh, the opposite.
1: Mark, you use a word in your chapter that I also wanted to have you address. You've certainly hit on planning and that the bottom line is to get... Uh, out there, do the planning, take the time, make sure you're setting these goals earlier, the better. Lots of the things that we hammer on in all these areas in the book about the aging journey. One of the, one of the words you use uh, near the end of your chapter is transparency. You talk about being transparent with your family about your financial concerns and desires. Uh, talk about the difference between a, a family that you see that is transparent with one another and one that isn't. Why is it so valuable to open up about something that many people are uncomfortable opening up about?
0: I think after the fact, um, parents um, pass away and you're in a in a room with the, the folks that you love and... Um, if there's any question as to the wishes of the parents, there's, there's um, a, a huge exposure there for family strife and questioning, well, what did mom and dad really want? Well, I think because they gave you this, then they want me to have this now. And, and in the midst of grieving and going through that process of losing a loved one, then you're, you're opened up to this other problem of having... Um, broken relationship with the people that you need most during that time. And so if we can be transparent as a family before that, we can just avoid so much uh, potential um, additional emotional uh, distress during a hard time uh, that it is to to lose someone. So I just think transparency uh, is key um, prior to the time of death or prior to the time of someone getting sick and not being able to make decisions on their own.
1: Mm. Well, uh, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. It was something that we definitely echo here on the show. And, and real quickly, uh, transparency with your advisor. Talk a little bit about how people can really prepare well, choose an advisor well, and and then uh, have a good relationship with an advisor.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, the whole planning process with any professional, um, the, the more transparent that you can be with that person and giving them all the relevant information and data and really articulate what it is that you're trying to achieve, the better that they can serve you. So I think that's key and then finding an advisor uh, that's going to be transparent with you as it surrounds the fee structure that they're gonna um, um, have to service uh, your needs, um, how they're going to do that, what the, how what their communication is going to look like and everything in between. So. I think there's transparency uh, is key on both sides as a as someone who's looking for an advisor, but then it is the advisor serving the client as well.
2: Definitely important, important. But you know, as we're kind of coming to the end of this segment, uh, you know, what are you kind of looking at for you know next thirty years? What are you telling people? What is the average that person needs to save?
0: Yeah, it's totally dependent. And this goes back to where we started. Really, it's totally dependent on what the goals are. You know. if I've got someone who comes in and says, you know what, during retirement my plan is just to move to the Dominican Republic and live on the beach eating tacos and keep my expenses low. Well, their savings plan is a whole lot different than the person that says, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work for the next 15 years and retire in Washington, D.C. You know, completely different. Um, so starting with the end in mind I think is absolutely crucial, very difficult to make that assessment. Which is why some of these retirement calculators online or other things that you can kind of plug and go are difficult because um, there's a lot of detail that goes into planning for retirement. And given that it's one of the biggest decisions that you're ever going to have to make, um, it's, uh, it's worth the effort.
1: Absolutely. Worth the effort to plan. Worth the effort to get in touch with an advisor like a Mark Giannone from Eaton, Cambridge. Worth the effort to get a hold of the book Aging in Arizona. Thanks so much for being with us, Mark. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Scott Fisher, president and co-founder of Passers and talking about senior living options. Don't go away. Welcome back to Aging in Arizona. So glad that you are with us today as we continue our conversation with contributors to our new book, Aging in Arizona, Insights for the Elderly and Their Families. And as I was saying earlier, we are having two of the uh, contributors on each of our shows here for about six weeks. And today we were joined by Mark Giannone talking about financial planning. For the later years. And now we get to talk with Scott Fisher, who wrote chapter four in the book titled Assisted Living Communities, How Do You Choose? And Scott's the co-founder of the Professional Association of Senior Referral Specialists. He's also principal at Options for Senior Living. So we've had Scott on the show before. We're glad to have him back to talk about this. You know, uh, Mark, my co-host, Mark Young, we were talking with Mark Giannone. And towards the end there, he said, well, if your goal for retirement is to be on a beach in the Dominican Republic eating tacos with a relatively low cost of living, your financial planning looks different than if you're you're here. One of the other options as you age is going to be a senior living community. And uh, those have changed a lot over the years, just as retirement planning has. Scott's here to talk about how they've changed, what the options are out there, and, and then how do you choose? So why don't we start with uh, that, Scott? Well, you know, what
3: are the options out there? Well, it it's good to see you guys again. It's great to be here. I, I want to kind of point out, in, in, and I mentioned this in the book, there's really two um, avenues that senior living shows up for people. One is the licensed component. We call that assisted living, and assisted living then under that category has a couple of um, – different pathways or breakdowns for that the other side of that is our is our unlicensed or independent living unfortunately many seniors move into senior living or what happens to be independent living and as their um, progression of their age and life goes on they need more care helps to get help from guys like you that, that come for care and and um supports them in their independent living status but at some point often it evolves where their care needs evolve to the point where they need to go to assisted living. So assisted living, you mentioned the assisted living center or community. That's the thats the uh, project that's on almost in everybody's corner now. If you look across the city, there was like 60 new projects being built in 2017. So, um, and especially if you're in the East Valley, you just see them breaking ground on almost every corner. And those are the, what we would look at as a big assisted living center. There's a, it's a it's an apartment complex for seniors that caregivers are available to them 24 hours a day to come into the privacy of their apartments and provide them supportive services like medication management, assistance with bathing, dressing, mobility, meal preparation, those kinds of things. Happens in the privacy of their apartment, but they live in a community where there's social activities and support. Um, We have a second kind of assisted living, which is the small privately owned residential assisted living home. Group home, we refer to those uh, oftenly in our business, but. They're also in everybody's neighborhood. About 2,000 licensed facilities in Maricopa County now.
1: And growing because the population is growing. So both of these, as you said, are are being built.
2: I was just going to take a step back further. I mean, you go back to, you know what, the scary uh, nursing homes. I mean, those are kind of a thing of the past. They've kind of evolved from there. And, and you've, you've seen that more than probably anybody.
3: You, you bet. When you speak to a senior, particularly someone who may be in their upper 80s or 90s, a gentleman that served in World War II, when you talk about, we talk about assisted living, we see apartment complex and supportive living and nice living rooms and theaters they're in their mind, thinking the old style nursing home when everybody's wheeled up in front of the nurse's station head down in their wheelchair, you know, and it's cold, there's brick walls, tile floors um, that's evolved a little bit, but really the long term uh, care where people live out the the most elements of their life is in this assisted living arena now not the nursing homes
2: yeah we had the andre lock and Hindi Lackery on the show last week and and, and, and I recall talking to him before, I mean, a lot of the policies, the long-term care policies that were written back in the 70s, 80s, when they were just coming out, they specifically say nursing home. And it's I mean, it's become a challenge to get the insurance to recognize that it has evolved. Nursing homes aren't part of the solutions. They are now part of
3: what is assisted living. The, the new policies, thankfully, have been very clear about specifying assisted living in those new policies, yeah. Mm. A great
1: intro to what we're going to talk about with you, Scott. And unfortunately, it's a short segment. We've got to go to a break. But we've got a lot to cover with cost. Uh, how do you choose? You mentioned 2,000 of these, right. right? And and how costs can vary greatly, I imagine. All over the place. We'll talk about it, yeah. Okay. So yeah. cost across the board. How do you choose? How do you work with families who might have different
3: preferences? Do sometimes families have different... Oh, if you, if you mix... Um... Usually siblings have different opinions about their parents. And then if you complicate it by having a second marriage, and now you've got two sets of kids from two set, two different parents, they'll definitely have different ideas and how do you navigate and swing through that. Um, I, was in an, I was in a meeting this Saturday morning with three sibs and they were it was not a second marriage. But they were vastly different in their opinion of what what should happen. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And then when is the right time to do it? So lots more to cover with Scott Fisher. We're going to talk about senior living options and all of those things we just mentioned when we come back. You're listening to Aging in Arizona on
2: 960 The Patriot, brought to you by Comfort Care Home Care. Comfort Care provides the care you need in the best place of all, your home.
1: Welcome back to Aging in Arizona. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule to be with us today. And I hope you're learning a lot as we talk with some of the contributors from our new book, also called Aging in Arizona, Insights for the Elderly and Their Families. We've got it uh, full of great topics. And each of the chapters is written by a different expert in that area. And we're talking with one of those experts today. His name is Scott Fisher, he's a principal with options for senior living, and Scott wrote the chapter on assisted living, how to choose an assisted living, when the time comes, when is the time right, and on and on. All these questions that folks have, uh, or should have, I should say, Mark, because many people aren't thinking about this until the last minute.
2: And, and we were talking right at the end of that segment, too, about, you know what, the, the nursing homes of, of, of yesteryear, they're just not that anymore. What are the biggest differences that are you're seeing nowadays where they've evolved to?
1: I think that's the
3: first time you've used yesteryear, yesteryear. in four years on the show. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, the evolution, I, I think, is for the positive. Um, if you walk into an assisted living center, you are often um, really struck by how aesthetically attractive it is, it's a wonderful, warm place to live in most cases. Uh, sometimes it feels like a really nice hotel in, in a lot of respects. Um, depending upon the size and that, f- uh, that front entry area where you walk in, it usually sets the tone for the atmosphere for the community. Um, caregivers are um, in, in a good community are out moving about saying hi to people. There's a warm, friendly, uh, lots of uh, high-touch uh, attention to detail kinds of things that go on in there. And the care then is, as I mentioned in the last segment, you don't see the obviousness of a lot of the care. Yeah, you see people on walkers and wheelchairs and things like that, but a lot of the care is done in, in the privacy of their apartments. So if you remember, you know, as a kid, I walked down the halls of, of nursing homes and the doors were open and you see the nurses in white scrubs and doing things they there, and people, it feels very institutional and very medically based. Our assisted living, um, Product as a whole has really evolved that it's very high touch, customer friendly, warm. And so the kinds of care that's provided in the privacy of people's apartment, I think really enhances their dignity and enhances their sense of value still so that they don't feel more diminished personally um, as they're aging and their conditions are kind of taking over and running their lives.
2: Well, a lot of time, I've been in quite a few of these and the energy.
3: It's, I mean, there's a lot of energy in this place. There's a feel, lot of life. You can in feel these life places. again. Yeah, you can feel life. And so when you hear um, music in the atmosphere and smells that are that are pleasing and wonderful from um, cookies being brought out to the bistro in the afternoon or fresh bread being baked in the morning or coffee being brewed, you bet they, they appeal to the senses because it feels uplifting to us. And it and it it and people don't go to senior living anymore to die. They go to live and they go to live quite a uh, an extended period of life. Um, one of the questions you brought up earlier is, "Hey, when do you make this decision?" You know, I walk into people's family stories all the time, and I and and mom wants to, she's holding on to her independence. She doesn't, and the kids are running over there two times a day, bringing meals and setting up their meds once a week, and having to do the shopping and all that. And I look at the mom with a smile on my face and kind of soften it and go, "You know, you're already in assisted living. Your kids are provided for you, though." And so when I say to the kids, "When you're done being the assisted living provider," Then it's time to go. The most loving thing you can do is love them until you reach that point, and then the next most loving thing you can do is to spend the time to research and find the right matching community for your loved one.
2: Well, you're even talking in that scenario where you know you get the blended families, you get the kids that all have a different expectation of what should happen, and, and the one thing I was waiting for, and I think we got cut off because of time. That's still usually different from what the the parents are.
3: O- often it is, and and we really when when the when the um, the client resident who is considered for placement is still capable and competent, you certainly want to hear from them. You don't want to be doing things to people. You, you want to include them in that process. It maintains the dignity and buy-in, which will really alleviate a lot of the stress in the transition when it happens. But um, you get different opinions and different motives, and not everybody's clear about motive. Um, in the last segment, Mark was talking about transparency, about financial motives well, I need transparency from families, especially when there's blended families in place, to what is the motive here? And you can see when it's um, incongruent with mom or dad's primary motive. And, and I really encourage them, these resources were set up or saved or provided for by the two seniors here in this blended situation to provide for their future, not necessarily for everybody else. The first priority is, is, is meeting their needs to the to the lifestyle caliber of living, they're they're expecting to live or they want to live. Well, I know you do this, Scott, but
2: I mean, as a placement professional, is that is that the role for a placement person to be
3: a social worker to help through these dynamics to get everybody on the same page? I'm I'm glad you asked that because that really is become a large part of our role is is a coach and a guide um, through these difficult. Decision-making situations, and we need the input of financial people like Mark or others that that talk to us. Sometimes we need to elicit the help of a elder law attorney, someone skilled at at these uh, issues that are that are um, consistent through other aging families. and, and um, powers of attorney are a big deal, and who's really the decision maker in these processes? Um, we get in the middle of so many things, and and what I love about I think the environment in Phoenix is a lot of us depend upon the expertise of each other to provide those roles as resources for each other when we're dealing with complicated family situations. So, yeah, we become um, very, very familiar with a lot of angles to this with families.
1: We're talking with Scott Fisher. Uh, he wrote the chapter in our new book, Aging in Arizona, called Assisted Living Communities. How do you choose, and uh, Scott's the co-founder of the Professional Association of Senior Referral Specialists, just was just walking us through what a senior referral specialist can do for you and your families, and uh, is also the principal at Options for Senior Living. Uh, Mark, did you have a follow-up question, or I was gonna ask about cost. We haven't really talked about that, and I know that, of course, that can be a factor for these families, no, this too. Is a
3: big, it's a big part of this, too, to you know, tag on what we were talking about, Mark. Um, Part of my responsibility is to get a good financial picture of the family. I don't need to know all the details, but we do need to know about sustainable income for a long period of time. We do need to know where the resources kind of start and potentially will stop, so that we can look into um, public benefits with them through our Arizona long-term care system or veterans aid and attendant, other opportunities to create more income or revenue to, to, to sustain them. But the because there's the cost. When you deal with these larger assisted living centers, um, on the low side, you're roughly talking about three thousand bucks a month on the high side, on the most prestigious high-end memory care, eight, nine thousand a month, ten thousand a month is not seen at all. So three to ten thousand is a pretty big wide swing. Most people fall into like a three to six thousand dollar window for the long for the long term in the long term. in the smaller assisted living homes, maybe two thousand a month is kind of on the low side. Up to there are very luxurious homes. You get a master bedroom but one of them. It might be eight thousand bucks a month for one person in there.
2: So we're talking an average range of three to six thousand. Which much, to yeah. me, I'm like, oh my god, that's a lot of money. I got a lot more saving to do. But a lot of times, what we have to sit down and realize is that includes everything,
3: all the incidentals, it includes meals typically. Meals, act, um, the activities, the cares, all included in that in that number. Um, your living expenses. Usually, what falls outside of there is a cost of your, your medications, um, any um, incontinency supplies or um, undergarments, things like that. Any food nourishment or, or supplementation, ensure boost things like that. But for the most part, once you're in assisted living, your expenses are are pretty well confined to that to that arena. Yeah. So take that in in effect, and then it's not as bad as what it looks. It, so. It, it made me. It is as, as Mark was talking about. You know, people depending upon their Social Security when a lot of people haven't planned and they're depending upon their Social Security exclusively to pay for this. That's if their Social Security is only seventeen thousand dollars a year and it's going to cost you thirty-six thousand dollars a year to live, well, that puts them in that kind of inverse situation where we need to seek assistance with public benefits, ALTecs or whatever, to kind of make up the difference. And there's a lot of trickiness to that, but is our role we guide people in that process so
2: in your book you talk about there's over two thousand right. licensed assisted living so i can't imagine you know have been to all of them i mean how do you how do how does a placement person help find the right place for them
3: well we come from the point of view that i should be um an expert in what i do i should know the product of assisted living and the assisted living homes and centers that we um that we work with. So, um, there is no way to know them all. I have been in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of the small homes, but there are several hundred more that I've never seen. And so there is no way to know everything. We work with, um, a lot of homes and then narrow that down uh, when, we're, when we're specifically on the homes that that we that we contract with so that we know them, we know when there's care, uh, caregiver changes, any ownership changes, if the ownership's leaving town for a month, I wanna know that before I refer anybody into that particular home. We, we routinely review the uh, Department of Health Services surveys on those homes so that um, that's information that we can gather to see what any uh, licensing issues, any penalties that have been paid, Um, enforcement actions that's been taken by the state of Arizona, because when we say licensed assisted living, what we mean by that is the Arizona Department of Health Services has jurisdiction and licenses them and visits those places at least on an annual basis. In the unlicensed arena, the the independent living we talked about, there is no state oversight, there is no licensing, there are no caregiving activities going on um, supported by the facility, so that's totally off the board, so you're, it's, it's buyer beware when you walk into stuff like that.
1: Hmm. Well, a lot of different financial models in these places, too, where you can buy in or you right. can rent. So you uh, walk people through the
3: decision-making process there. there. There are people that approach us, and they're just interested. You mentioned the buy-in, and what we're talking about is a continuing care campus, retirement campus. And um, a few examples might be around town, like the Beatitudes, Sagewood, the V up in Scottsdale. And what that means is a person is paying for upfront with a large amount of money, 300,000 to well over a million, to pay for their health care in the future at today's dollar. That's what they're buying. It's an insurance contract to provide some long-term care security for them. Other styles of assisted living are all done on a month to month basis on that. So you move in the first month and then you're on a 30-day kind of automatically renewing agreement with them. And we call that a residency agreement. So, um, depending on what people's financial objectives are, what they've been saving their money for, we guide them into the direction of that continuing care campus or maybe a month-to-month arrangement. In my view, there are some perfect examples of people that should be um, steering towards those continuing care campuses. But most people have stayed at home a lot longer with the help of Comfort Care. They've stayed home and now they're in their late 80s making this decision. At that window in many cases is closed for those those high entry fee communities. And so they'll often then be a better fit for the month to month arrangements and things so
2: like I, that. I'm curious, if, as a placement specialist, um, I hire you to help me find one of these places. Right. A, who's paying your salary? B, who do you represent?
3: There's a great question. In the traditional model, we are not hired. We are paid a referral fee or commission by the receiving assisted living facility. So the families get a free service and our referral sources get the... um, you know, get the satisfaction that if they align themselves with a good agent like myself, then that, then their client, if that's who it's coming from, is going to get a free service not coming out of their pocket. And I then need to be, I have to have some value system that I'm referring people to places that are in their best interest, not necessarily where I might be getting the highest fee or compensation. So there is some balance. You mentioned passers. This is our trade association that we set up eight years ago, so that. Um, Code of ethics and professionalism, and our best practices are established so that agents that participate in that organization um, align themselves with those best practices. So the client's needs are always first, not where we get the best compensation plan.
1: Yeah, I know there's some probably some breakdowns in the analogy, but you're a senior referral realtor.
3: In a sense, you know, representing the buyer, in a sense. Okay. And, and getting paid by the seller. Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think that's a fairly easy way for folks to understand it. Need to look into it. We've got to, we've got to wrap up. Real quickly, if you
3: can, in less than 30 seconds here, Scott, the biggest mistake people make in this area is what? Oh, they, they, go, they go and try and do this by themselves, and then they get involved in Internet, online uh, issues, and um, they get six or seven people trying to tell them the same thing. A good agent can walk them through top to bottom, and, uh, and, and keep it very efficient and uncomplicated for
1: them. Okay, thanks for taking the time to be with us today, Scott. Again, we have to wrap up, but we are going through a series here of uh, contributors who have written chapters in the book, uh, our new book, Aging in Arizona, Insights for the Elderly and Their Families. A, a great thanks to Scott Fisher for being with us from Options for Senior Living, and Mark Giannone, who was with us earlier from Eaton, Cambridge, Financial Wealth Management. And thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next Sunday for more conversation about the book from uh, two more authors. Have a great week, Pastor Presley. Thanks, Mark. Thanks again, Scott.